of years ago, I entered a stand-up comedy competition to raise money for a local charity called Wirral Mencap. Uh, they do a lot of great work across the Wirral helping adults with learning difficulties, and every year they host a stand-up comedy competition, or, or at least they did before we had the lockdown we, we've recently come out of. Every year they'd host a stand-up comedy competition where uh, five, six, or seven uh, people who think they're funny like me, uh, people who think they're funny would essentially write and perform their own stand-up comedy in front of uh, a couple of hundred people uh, raising money for charity, and the audience would then vote on who was the best comedian, who was the funniest comedian, and they would they, they would win, not physical prize, but they would win the accolade of, of being the, the, the stand-up comedy winner. And it's something I've always... I've always wanted to do. I've always thought of myself as a bit of a comedian. Um, I know I'm not that funny. I've always thought of myself as a bit bit of a comedian, and it and it dated right back to school. Because when when I was in school, I, I was like the I wouldn't say I was the class clown, but I certainly thought I was the class clown. Um, and one day we we had this English speech competition where we'd have to write a speech and then deliver it in class. And whoever was voted by the class to be the the best speech would then get to deliver that on the stage in the assembly in front of the whole, uh, not not just the whole year. It was like the whole two or yeah two years I think it was the first and second year of high school. And I wrote a speech about Margaret Thatcher because she was she was I would I was going to say she was popular at the time. She wasn't popular at the time, but she was a thing of the time. Um, and she was also obviously a main character on Spitting Image at the time, which I, I, I used to watch, even though I don't think I fully understood all of the jokes. But I watched it anyway and found it hilarious. I was probably laughing at things I didn't quite know. But I wrote this speech about Margaret Thatcher. And I, I don't think it was that funny. I don't think it was that original. But I delivered it well. And I was voted the, the best, basically the best speech in the class. So I got to deliver it on school, in, in on the stage in front of uh, the first and second year. And I... I was convinced I was going to win this competition because I w- I'd already been voted the best in the class. Why would I not be the best in the school? And I, I delivered it on stage, thinking I'm going to win this competition in front of front of everybody. My my older brother, who was about 16 years, 15, 14, 15 years older than me, he'd drawn a Margaret Thatcher caricature like the spitting image, um, spitting image puppet. And, and cut it out for me to put my notes on the back of. So it looked like I was holding Margaret Thatcher's head while I was delivering this speech. And I delivered it on the stage, and I didn't win. I didn't win, which I was a little bit... I was a lot annoyed about, because I, I was convinced I was going to win. Um, I don't I don't recall if they even mentioned who came second or third, but I, I just, it, it crushed me, quite frankly. It crushed me. But I'd won in the class. I'd won in the class. I was the best in the class. So I took that with me. And then the, a couple of months later, they did another speech competition in school. They did another speech competition in the class. And I wrote another one. And because I had this reputation of being the funny one, of being the one who everybody was going to laugh, I always remember there was this girl sat right at the front with her friend. I think think it was Julie Jones in school. So if you're Julie Jones from Baislig Comprehensive School and you were in school, uh, you started Baislig Comprehensive School around about 1987, 88, uh, then yeah, you. She was sat right in front and she turned to her friend just as I was about to start this speech and she said, don't laugh. 
don't laugh. And I remember looking at her say, don't laugh, just as I was about to begin. And I thought, you're fucking going to laugh. I am going to make you laugh your bloody bollocks off. I presume she didn't have bollocks. But if she had them, she'd have laughed them off. And I started this speech, and she was my target audience. She was my target audience. She was going to laugh because she didn't like me. I don't know what I'd done. I was probably a bit of a dickhead. I don't know what I'd done, but she didn't like me. She said, do not laugh to her mate. I said, she's going to laugh. Her mate's going to laugh. And they did. They both laughed. Even though this speech I'd done, this second one, was nowhere near as good as the first one because they'd given the subject of punning. You had to do puns. And puns, as we all know, are not funny. Sorry, Tim Vine. They're not funny. But I did it, and she laughed. And I converted her. And it reminded me, I listened to a, a podcast a while ago uh, where Russell Kane was interviewed by Stephen Bartlett. And Russell Kane talked about something very similar, how he's always training his converting muscle. And as he was talking about this, I thought, yeah, that really makes sense for, for what I, I went through. Because he doesn't, he doesn't get as much of a thrill out of doing stand-up comedy for his fans because they, they come to love him. They, they know who he is. He likes to go to gigs where he's not know, where people don't know he's going to appear and he said it splits the room in three ways when he just rocks up at a gig uh, maybe somebody's paid 20 quid to go to this gig and they don't know who the comedians are and Russell Kane rocks up he said it splits the room in three ways a third of the people think oh brilliant I'm going to see Russell Kane for 20 quid what an absolute bargain a third of the people think who the fuck's this guy I've never heard of him and a third of the people think Russell Kane I ate this prick I can't stand him. And those are the ones he wants to aim at. Those are the ones he wants to say. Because if he can make them laugh, if he can convert them into liking him, into becoming his fans, then he's really done it. He's succeeded. He's converted. He's exercised his converting muscle. And that's exactly what I did with this Julie Jones. She turned to her mate and said, don't laugh when I started that speech. But they both laughed. So I had succeeded. So I was convinced from that age that I was funny and I could get up on a stage and do stand-up comedy. And I think also in this interview with with Russell, he also said two things which which really stuck with me as well. Uh, The first thing was that he thinks that he's funny. He thinks that he was always destined to be funny, the same as I do, for the same reasons that I do. And that's firstly, he's the youngest of several children. So as the youngest, you're always trying to compete with older kids, with, with an older brother. You're the, always trying to compete with them to, for the attention of the parents. You're always trying to be the funny one. I thought, well, yeah, I, I had that with, certainly with my elder brother because he, he, wasn't, he, he was always the one that, you know, they would pay attention to and I was just trying to get the attention. That makes sense to me. But he also said it's because he was born in August. Now, as soon as he heard this, I thought, bollocks. Yeah, you're going to go into horoscope shit now. You're going to say, oh, because you were a, you were a Leo or, or a Virgo. The fact I know that is, is disturbing enough. But horoscopes, I have no stock in whatsoever. But he said, no, 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 it's nothing to do with horoscopes. It's because if you were born in August, you are one of the youngest kids in the class. Because if you were born in September, you go into the year before. You're one of the oldest kids in the class. If you're born in August, you're one of the youngest kids. Sorry, if you're September, you're one oldest. If you're born in August, you're one of the youngest kids in the class, which means you are the least mature. You are the least mature. Often you could be the shortest. You, you're trying to compete with kids who have 
maybe up to a year older than you, they are more sensible, they are more developed, they are more mature, they often they're more intelligent because they've had more time to develop. And you are trying to compete with them and get attention. I thought, yeah, that's exactly what I was. I was the youngest in the class. I was an idiot, basically. I was a bloody idiot when I was in school. Uh, and, and it really made sense to me. That, yeah, that's, that, that's why, why I was trying to do what I was trying to do. So when this opportunity came along to do this stand-up comedy, I thought, fuck yeah, I'm going into that and I'm going to be bloody hilarious. And for those of you interested, you can actually listen to my whole stand-up comedy routine in podcast episode five, I think it is. Podcast episode five of The Engaging Marketeer, you can listen to my entire stand-up comedy performance, my 15-minute stand-up comedy performance, and it is well worth listening to, if I do say so myself. But when we entered this competition, it wasn't just about getting up on a stage and doing stand-up comedy at, at Prenton Park, the home of Tranmere Rovers, no less. It wasn't just about doing that. They also gave you a, a weekly training program with a professional stand-up comedian. So every week for one hour, you'd spend a session, I think it was, I think it was two hours, every week, two hours with a stand-up comedian, where you'd go through some exercises uh, in, in being funny, in being spontaneous, in, in ad-libbing, and then you'd go through the routines that you would put together. I thought, this, this is brilliant. I'd pay for this. I would pay for this kind of training because the stuff you can learn from a stand-up comedian goes way beyond just, just stand-up comedy. Uh, for example, when, when I came to the first session, I was more ahead than any of the other people who were there because I'd been thinking about this for a long time. I had my routine pretty much word for word nailed out when I got there. So when I started to go through my routine... Everybody was like, well, yeah, he's bloody funny, isn't he? He's got it all down. Yeah, yeah. But we, we videoed it. We videoed each of us doing it so we could watch it back afterwards. And I noticed things that I was doing that I wasn't aware that I was doing. So, for example, I was, I was hobbling back on, on one leg. So maybe I was putting my weight on my left leg and just moving my right leg back and forth without being aware of it. And I watched it back and thought, why the fuck are you doing that? What the hell are you doing? What did you, did you be? Control your bloody body, for God's sake. So the second time I did it, I made sure I rooted myself. And any motion that I made, any motion that I made is now purposeful. And it enhances the comedy. It enhances what I'm doing. So if I'm making a movement, there's a reason for it. I'm not just twitching back and forth. And there was another person who was doing the comedy with us. Um... He didn't do this videoing thing, he didn't play it back, and he didn't go to all of the sessions either. And I noticed on the actual live show we did, in front of the audience, he was still doing this rocking back and forth thing that I was doing, because he wasn't aware of it, and I was. And that is a really important lesson in any sort of speech delivery, comedy delivery, public talk, sales pitch. Be aware of what your body's doing. Don't start fidgeting with your hands and moving them about don't start rocking back and forth if you're going to make a movement make it purposeful so that was the first thing i picked up from that and the big thing i got from it the big thing i got from doing stand-up comedy other than the fact that i won i don't know whether i've dropped that in yet i did i have i dropped that in just in case i haven't dropped that in i did win I did win, and it was part of the Liverpool Comedy Festival, which now officially makes me a Liverpool Comedy Festival winner. Yes, I am a comedian. Woo! Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but the, 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 one of the big things I got from it was the fact that I now don't have any fear of public speaking. I have no fear of getting up in front of five people, ten people, a hundred people, a thousand people. It doesn't matter. 
it doesn't matter. Because if I'm making a talk, a, a pitch, a sales presentation, maybe I'm doing a, a training workshop, it, it doesn't matter how many people there are because I've done stand-up comedy. I stood up on a stage with no notes and did a 15-minute routine with the sole purpose of making people laugh. And that's hard. That's really hard. And not only did I do that, they laughed their fucking bollocks off. They laughed their bollocks off. I had them eating out of my hand, and it was the best rush I've ever had. And it was also the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done. So whatever I do from now on, I just tell myself, you've done stand-up comedy. How hard is this? How hard is getting up on this stage and talking about digital marketing, talking about SEO, talking about Facebook advertising? How hard, you know, you're talking to a load of business owners about marketing. How hard is that? You've got on a bloody stage and you've done stand-up comedy in front of 200 people and you've made them laugh their bollocks off. Nothing's harder than that. Nothing's harder than that. But there were other things I picked up on that helped me within business and helped me within presentations, helped me within uh, talking to business owners, talking to clients, talking to prospective clients, and, and making the sales pitches. Um, for example, story-based. My stand-up comedy, I specifically told a load of stories. I didn't tell jokes, I told stories. And when you're telling a story, you get people hooked. They listen, they want to know what happens next. You create a character, it could be you. It could be a potential client. It could be an example of another client. It could be um, a fictional person. You create a story. People want to know what happens to them. Stories sell. Stories sell. So I now use that in presentations. I use that in sales pitches. I tell stories. I don't list a load of facts and a load of benefits and then try and sell something based on that. I tell a story. Mimicking movement. When you're in front of somebody, if you mimic their actions, they are more inclined to like you because they see you as being like them. That's a sales tactic. You could argue it's a bit of an obvious sales tactic, but it, it does work. So if the person in front of you folds their arms, you fold their arms. Not immediately. You know, Don't do it like a bloody creep. You know, I see you're folding your arms, mate, so I'm going to do the same thing. You know? No, don't, don't do it like that. You know, But it's just subtle mimicking of movement. If they lean forward, you lean forward. If they sit back, you sit back. And you do that on stage. You're mimicking movement. If somebody does something in the audience and you want to replicate it, then you can do that on the stage. Your movement is important. Pausing. Timing in comedy is everything. Timing is everything. And if you're delivering a line a comedy line, a punchline, you need to let it land. You need to pause and wait for people, firstly to laugh, hopefully they'll laugh, but wait for people for it to sink in. There's no good delivering a comedy line and then carrying on immediately on something else. And that's exactly the same when you're doing a presentation, when you're doing a sales pitch. If you deliver a meaningful statistic, something that you need people to understand, to listen to, to pay attention to, to give it impact, you have to wait once you've delivered it, and let them sink it in. Because if you just deliver a stat and then immediately start talking about something else, they've got no time to reflect on it. They've got no time to grasp it. They've got no time to realize how important it is. Pausing and pacing in a sales pitch, in a sales presentation, in a speech, is just as important as it is in stand-up comedy. 
And then, of course, there's your, your big finish. You need to make sure that your, your end line, your big line at the end, is delivered perfectly and it's delivered with impact. It's the same, once again, in a sales pitch. Your opening line as well. I mean, your opening line and your closing line are the two most important things you do in stand-up comedy, and they are the two most important things you do in a sales pitch as well. Because your opening line, it's going to make, it's going to have impact. It's going to be the reason people listen to you, or stay atten- stay awake, and pay attention to you. Same with comedy. And your closing line is the most important thing because it's going to be what they end with, what they finish with. It's going to be the reason they buy from you, the reason they like you, the reason they want to hear from you again. That is vital. And those are some of the things I picked up about doing a sales presentation, about doing business from doing stand-up comedy. Now, I, I do get asked as well, would I do it again? Fuck yeah. Yeah, I'd do it again. I'd do it in a heartbeat. I would. Um, it, it's difficult because it requires a lot of headspace. It requires an awful lot of headspace. When I was doing the comedy, I, I used to walk at lunchtime down to Sainsbury's and back, which would take me about 15, 20 minutes and I'd go through the routine in my head every single time I was walking there. Go all the way there and all the way back, and I'd go through it over and over again until it was absolutely perfect. So when I delivered it on the night, it was it was almost word perfect. I think I, I laughed at one line when I shouldn't have, because I tried to keep a straight face, and I flipped another two lines around. Other than that, it was word perfect. It was word perfect. So I knew I didn't have to worry about the script. It was all about the delivery. It was all about the pacing the pausing, and the deliberate movements of the body, the legs, the arms, the head, the facial expressions. The script is done. Let's make sure the movement and the delivery is perfect. But I would do it again. I would do it again. So if anyone's listening to this that, you know, is looking for a comedian, uh, has stand-up comedy spots maybe, then please get in touch. I'd be very interested in going again. Uh, I do have more material as well. Uh, so have a listen to episode five of the Engaging Marketeer podcast and listen to my stand-up comedy performance from the Wirral Comedy Festival, sorry, from the Liverpool Comedy Festival, uh, raising money for Wirral Men Cup, uh, where I became a Liverpool Comedy Festival winner. Did I mention that? I'm not sure if I've mentioned that already. Have a listen to that. Um, leave me a review, if you could, as well. I'd love a review. Uh, if it's positive, please leave me a review. If it's negative, uh, leave a review for Michael McIntyre. He can take it. Um, I need the positive reviews. Uh, and if you could subscribe to me as well, that would be brilliant. So give me a follow or a subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Uh, I would really appreciate that. So thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to the Engaging Marketeer podcast, and I will see you on the next one. Oh!